Welcome to the Skeptical Pastor Podcast. I am your host, Mike Mandry. I am a skeptic and a pastor. And here's the thing. I want to invite you into real and honest conversations about the questions and the doubts that we have about the Christian faith. Because I believe that when we have the real and honest conversations, we will find truth. And that when we find truth, we'll find the pathway to joy. So welcome to the conversation. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining this conversation. I hope you are doing well. I hope that you had an awesome couple weeks since the last time that we spoke. And here's the thing. Even more than that, I hope that you have continued to ask awesome questions, that you have named your doubts, that you have put those out in the world, and you have said, this is who I am. I am a skeptic. The world needs more open skeptics who will say, I have doubts and questions and I need to be heard. So I hope that you are truly living the skeptical life. So let's jump right in to this conversation. In in this conversation, I want to talk about the most dangerous book in the world. Now, to be fair, this book has inspired people to do a lot of good. It has as people have read this, they have changed their life. I think of people who are in prison for murder or for some other major crime, and they've read this book, they've had an encounter, and they have changed their life for the good. Those who used to be bent on evil are, are now bent on doing good in this world. And so this book has done good. But this book has also been used to justify evil tons of evil. Wars have been justified using this book. Slavery has been justified using this book. This book has been used to oppress people and people groups, including women and other groups throughout the ages. This book has been used to justify the oppression of them. This book has been used to justify the killing of people in many different ways. In fact, to even make it more current, this book has been used to justify the events on Wednesday, January 6th at the Capitol. This book has been used to justify all sorts of evil. And in case you didn't catch it, this book is the Bible. The Bible has been used both for good and for evil, to justify evil. And that is why, to me, it is the most dangerous book in the whole entire world. And as we look at its danger, we can say, why do we need this ancient book anymore? See, this ancient book, it's controversial. There's things that it says that that aren't, hmm, how do I say this? They aren't exactly what we as society would say are our values anymore, right? It's old. It's not relevant. It seems archaic, it, it, it does seem to go against modern values. If we look at our society's values, the things that may even seem good, um, it can get, man, this, this ancient book is, is, this ancient book goes against that. Why would we trust this ancient book? Why, why would we um, change our lives based on this archaic book? Really, aren't we past this book? Aren't, aren't we past using this book in the world? Like, like the most recent part was written um, just under 2,000 years ago. So why in the world would, would we still use this book? Like, do we really need this book anymore? 
And at the heart of this, I think there's there's a few questions. We're saying, is this book reliable? Is the Bible reliable? Is is it really the word of God? Can we trust it? Can we trust this book, which, right, we talked about all of the, all of the bad things that have come out of this. And so we're going to explore this in this conversation. Now, I want to be completely transparent. I think it's important as we are skeptics, as we are wrestling through this, I want to be completely transparent with you. I, I never want to hide things from you. And so I have re, re-researched this again over the past few weeks, knowing that we'd have this conversation because I want to make sure that I still believe what I say I believe. Because again, the claims of scripture are grand, um, <laughs> to say the least. They're controversial. Um, and so I, I wanted to relook at it. And so I did over the past few weeks, I've been looking at the claims of scripture and what it is. And I want to tell you the conclusion I have come to, because I think it's important for the conversation for, for you to know the bias that I've come through. But I also want to walk you through the process. I'm going to walk you through the process as once I tell you kind of where I have landed. And again, if you disagree, please stick around in this conversation. I think it's important for you to be part of it because, again, I'm going to want pushback, feedback, conversation back from you. And again, I think you can grow and learn and I can grow and learn from you. And, and, and if you agree with my statement, I want you to continue on because I want to make sure that you know why you agree with it. Because sometimes we can just agree with things and not know why we agree with them. So here is, there's a quote that kind of summarizes where I have been over the past few weeks as I have re-looked at all of these claims. Here is where I have landed. To be skeptical of the resultant text of the New Testament book is to allow all of classical antiquity to slip into obscurity for no documents of the ancient period are as well attested to as the New Testament. That's John Warwick Montgomery who said this. And this is my conclusion. My conclusion is that if we don't trust the New Testament, if we say, eh, this, te- this text wasn't really exists, it's not reliable, we can't trust what it says, then we can't trust anything from the past. Anything in the past, then we have to say we don't believe that. And, and again, you may be going, I don't know if I agree with you. Hey, awesome, awesome. If you don't agree with me, that is awesome. I, I want to show you the questions that I went to. I want to show you how I came to that conclusion skeptically. As a skeptic, how did I come to those conclusions? So kind of the first question, or one of the first, like I don't know the exact order, but one of the questions was, isn't this just a copy of other books? And it's true. Like if you've been on TikTok, I don't know if you get if you're on TikTok, but I am obsessed with TikTok. I'm hooked on TikTok. Like I have a two hour limit on my phone of TikTok, and I have to admit, there's there's days that I have gone beyond that, and I've had to enter my passcode to have more TikTok time. And it's maybe a little embarrassing for a 37 year old man to do that. But there's a lot of cool like Christian and atheist and skeptic things that I see on there, and and I love to be in that and to understand those things. And this is one of the things, doesn't it just copy what the other books say? You know, there's a lot of other books of ancient time that talk about floods and that. And, and, and I don't think that's evidence against it. In fact, part of me skeptically goes, isn't that actually evidence for that? Because if there's other books um, saying this same, same thing happened, maybe a little different take on it, Maybe it did actually happen. But all that be told, there are some unique teachings of the Bible. Like the Bible isn't just a copy of everything else that has existed. Because otherwise, I don't think we need it. So here are a couple unique teachings of the Bible. 
First is the Trinity, that God is three in one. There are some religions that believe that there was one God, and there's some religions that believe that there are multiple gods. There's a multitude, right? 10, 20,000, million, billion, trillion. What, it doesn't matter, but there's a lot of them that, that are gods. But Christianity, the, the scriptures, especially the New Testament, talks about this idea of Trinity, one God, three persons. Um, and so that is existing there. Or it's that God came in human flesh, fully God, fully man, um, that a God would pay for our sins, right? There's not religions out there that have this too, where God came and then paid the sin for the people. It also is one where, where it's about faith versus works. All, all the other religions of the world are about works, the things that you do to make the gods happy, to make them like you, to make them not mad at you, to make them not angry, to make it so that they won't curse you, but maybe they will possibly bless you. And so we have those. Those are kind of unique teachings that that this, especially the New Testament, wasn't borrowing from other cultures, that, that they weren't stealing from other books. The other question I have and is, okay, we have the copies and, and they're dated a little bit after everything was written. And, and okay, yeah, that's cool that we have them, but why don't we have the original things? Let's say we take the book of Romans and that is thought to be written by the Apostle Paul. And how come we don't have where the Apostle Paul or the person he was scribe or saying it to, why, why don't we have that copy? The copy that was passed from church to church to church. Why don't we have that copy anymore? I mean, partly because it was passed from church to church to church, right? Where did that end up? But, but I think there's actually a, a truer thing is understanding what it was written on. I think we think of paper um, or like a leather or something that is this well-constructed thing that, that will last for a long time. But um, the New Testament was written mostly on, on, on papyrus. And papyrus was a common writing material until the 3rd century, so the, so the 200s, eight, 200s AD. Um, and it was a common writing material. In fact, it was like the writing material of the age. Well, it's a plant-based thing, and, and it doesn't last very well. Like, it needs the most perfect conditions to last. And and again, they, in the ancient times, weren't equipped with, with the perfect chambers of uh, moisture and temperature and all these things. They didn't have that. So yeah, of course we don't have those. In fact, right, we don't have the original copies of early writings of anything because, again, of the writing material that they had. We, and I think another question that can come up is, Aren't these just myths written way after the fact? Like, okay, yeah, like, yeah, we have some copies and reliable, but like, aren't these written way after the fact, way after it was done? Like, if this is why wives tale after wives tale after wives tale, I feel like that is a very sexist term, and so I'm, I'm going to stop using it. That that these are myths and fables used over and over and over and told, and they change. Like, aren't isn't that what these are? And again, I, I think that's a valid question that 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 you could have is. Yeah, these are written way after the fact. But here's the thing. So Jesus died in roughly 33 AD, uh, give or take, right? We can we can debate that all day. Um, and you might even debate the existence of Jesus, and we can get into that later. But let's just assume, like, let's make an assumption here for the sake of talking about this. Because, again, that's the claims of these things that happened in roughly 33 AD that Jesus would have died. Okay, what about these books? When, when were they written? Well, we have Matthew. It's written anywhere from the 60s to, to the 80s. 
Um, so it's only 30 years after the death. There would have been people alive who, as Matthew is writing these things, as is written down, as the events of Matthew are written down, that they would still be alive. Mark is actually earlier, like the 50s or 60s. It's one of the earliest written. So again, people would have been alive at the events, would have read this as well. We have Luke, which is the 60s, the 80s. Now, now Luke too, Luke like actually investigated. He's a doctor. He investigated these things. He he asked people who were there, what tell me what 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 went on with Jesus and all those things. And so he had that. And then we have John. John is quite a bit later. It's like 60s to to, to 100 AD. Um, it's quite a bit later. Um, but again, that, that makes sense if you've ever read the Gospel of John, it's quite a bit different. It's not necessarily all the events. He's like, he's very poetic. He's a very poetic person who, again, he's writing in that. So that makes sense, right? That's a little bit later. He's thought through it. But And you have the other three Gospels that have that he would have probably have read um, in, in other writings about Jesus, and he was there. So again, he didn't need a hurry of that. It doesn't need to be exactly right then. And then you have Acts, which was written in like 62 to 64 um, again, not too much after the time of the close of the events that actually happened, and that was written, we we presume by Luke, um, who who wrote the the Gospel of Luke as well, um, and so we have those. They were written closely after, right? You 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 would have had the stories, but these people were there, and, and at some time they said, okay, these are important to write down. Yes, we've talked about these and and different things that happened, different oppression that happened that actually would make sense. That they'd be like, okay, this is important because some of us are going to die, and 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 our testimony that we have given, we won't be around to give that. And there was no recording, there was no video, there was no podcast. Oh man, that would have been awesome. Like a little side note, let's go completely side note. I'm a rabbit trail guy. Can you imagine if they would have had podcasts back in the day? Like how much contra- well, Actually, that might have caused more controversy because we'd be like, well, maybe it actually wasn't then. But like, I think it would have been a great evidence. So I don't know why podcast took so long to be invented. I know technology, but like that would have been pretty cool. Okay, so written pretty much after the events, right? They 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 did that. They formed it. Okay, it's time for us to actually write these down. Okay, so that question, right? Like, there's there's some evidence, and like, okay, no, no, that 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 makes sense of why when they were written, they weren't written decades, generations later after wives' tale have changed, not wives' tale, tales, fables have changed over and over. And so that's that question. But then another question I have is. Like, when was the New Testament considered scripture? Um, because, again, I think we can say, well, yeah, the, these were writings, but did they actually consider these scripture? Because the early Christians, yeah, they, they considered the Old Testament scripture. And we're not going to get too much into the Old Testament. Because I think, actually, I think if, 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 I, if, if we can show that the New Testament is true, I think that lends to the Old Testament. We can get into why. That's a big logical statement that um, flow that we can get into. It'll be an awesome, like, geeking out if you like logical flow. Is that a thing? I think it is. I'm going to call it logical flow. Like that's going to be a term. And if somebody else has already made that, I'm not trying to steal that. I've just never heard it before. Anyway, sorry. Anyways, I'm getting way off topic. Anyways, we have Polycarp. Polycarp, um, AD 115 was roughly when he was around. And he was a disciple of the apostle John. And he considered um, a lot of our New Testament to be scripture. Justin Martyr did as well. Um, then there was a disciple of Polycarp, right, who was a disciple of John, um, Irenaeus. Um, we find written documents from him where most of the New Testament he has written down as scripture. It's a really cool list um, that you can research if you want to later on. 
Um, so we have this early um, time, people connected back who in the early church said, this is scripture. No, these aren't just fables that are written. Like we actually believe these to be scripture. So I, there's this question that I think to me is a, it's probably one of the most valid questions out there. And it's a question that I myself have struggled with a lot. It, it's this question. How do we know that the manuscripts we have weren't extremely altered? Because again, I think they could have been written um, by the people that were there shortly after, right? Right as they're um, experiencing persecution and they're going, okay, it's time to write these things down. It's going to be important that we write these things down because bad things are going to happen. But how do we know that the, the early copies that we have, how do we know that they weren't altered? Because I think it very well could have been people trying to do it for their own benefit. How did they alter it? And that, I think, is a valid question. I assume you have that question as well or you've wrestled with that question and maybe you've kind of put that off to the side. But here's one thing that really got me as a research is that there's a short time between the first copies, the the uh, the um, autographs that were written and the copies that we found. The first copy is uh, P52 and that was in AD 130, right? That's shortly after these books would have been written. Um, there wouldn't have been a lot of time for it to completely change, especially if people the first ones were probably still around at that time. People could have compared them to that. People knew what the, what the first copy said, and they would have like completely revolted and burned and gotten rid of those. So that's one. The number of manuscripts we have, we have like early copies, like roughly like fifty five hundred Greek copies, which is a huge number. And then we have like ten to fifteen thousand of other. Um, languages at the time, early copies from them. And so roughly we have 15 to 20,000 manuscripts. And again, there's slight changes in them, and, and but nothing major, nothing in these that alters the, the things that we believe, the events that happen. Of course, there's little nuances and changes. And then some of the copies, right, the person who is who's writing them might have had their own view and, and wanted to maybe um, add their own view into everything that was happening. Yeah, and of course that maybe happened, but but when we have that many copies, we can go, okay, well that one over there, we can tell like that one has been authored and, and we know roughly what the original said. It's amazing, like the people and the scholars that do this, they are brilliant men and women who understand all of that. And now these numbers may sound impressive, 15 to 20,000 or even in the Greek, they even gonna take the Greek, so 56, 55, roughly copies that we have. And that would be pretty amazing. So, But, but I want to do a comparison. So as of uh, 2012, I want to take Plato's writings. Uh, so Plato was born roughly uh, 428 B BCE and died roughly 348 BCE. And we have found copies of his writings um, in the 5th century. AD. So that is a long time after. That's roughly 800 years-ish where there's that gap. And we have about 210 manuscripts of his writings. But here's the thing. I, I don't hear people, atheists, Christians, non-Christians, what... Uh, Buddhist, whatever. I don't hear people saying, well, you know, Plato didn't really write. Yeah, I don't know. I think they've been altered. I think somebody took what Plato did and they totally changed it. No, 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 no. I don't see people doing that. I don't see people saying that. And they're saying, no, like these are believed to be Plato's writing. Scholars say this is Plato's writing. So let's take that. 
210 manuscripts of Plato versus 5,600, or if we take all of them, we're talking roughly 20,000 manuscripts. Well, which one are we going to say? If we're going to say that the one with 210, which was found almost 1,000 years after, 800 years afterwards, if we're going to say that, that is a reliable, and we think that's the right as in Plato, how dare we say that the Bible wasn't the true writings of which it was written? Because we have a sh way shorter gap, and we have way more copies, which we can base on was there major alterations and we're not seeing that. And so again, I think like no matter where we stand, that logic alone, like I will, like that's a hill like, man, we can really debate passionately, lovingly, respectfully. But man, on that, if we're gonna say that the Bible isn't really, that's not really what was written, then we can say nothing of the Old Testament. That kind of goes, or nothing of ancient writing. And that kind of goes back to my quote. Again, if we can't trust that the Bible said what it originally did because we don't have the originals, we cannot trust that anything of the ancient times um, that the writings are true. I think the next question is how can we trust the authors? Like, okay, you write about these things, but can you can we really trust what you wrote about these things? And as we look into it, the people who wrote these, who we, we have believed to to have written these, who history has said they are the ones who wrote these, they are firsthand people. They saw these these things firsthand. Or like in the case of Luke, they got this from people who saw this firsthand. So there is still a big gap for me as a skeptic. Like all this stuff is good. All this stuff is helpful. It helps answer a lot of the questions I have, but there is a major question that I still have left. And I'm assuming that you have that as well. It's this. Is there any early non-Christian confirmation of the New Testament? The people, does anyone talk about Jesus? Does anyone talk about any of the events that happened in the New Testament? Because if, if they didn't, I think that would leave a big gap for me as a skeptic. Like that would be a big gap for me to jump over. And there are, there is Tacticus, if I said that right, he's a first century Roman historian um, he confirms the events of Jesus' life as recorded in scripture, crucifixion, and in, in the in the Roman um, emperors and things and leaders that happened with, with the death of Jesus. Um, there was a chief secretary to Emperor um, Hadrian. Uh, he reigned 117 to 138. I can't say his name. His name starts with an S, and we're just going to go with that. It's maybe like Suetonius. That is going to be my really butchering of this. And he actually confirms the events in Acts 18.2. Take a look at that. He actually does that. It's really interesting. There is jo Josephus. He was around AD 37 to 100. He's a um, Jewish historian. There's some of his things that are under, like, did he really say this? And I think that's a valid concern. But there's things that that historians will say, no, like this would have been written from him and not added on. He talks about James, the brother of Jesus called the Christ. Um, he talks about how James dies and the manner in which he dies. He talks about John the Baptist. And so, yeah, we have confirmation outside of the New Testament. So I want to run through. Now we've had all these questions, right? And you probably have more questions and that's amazing and that's awesome. But there's something with ancient literature. There's like eight tests, like Let's look through these and let's go, okay, did this really happen? Can we, with some sort of reliability, trust what happened? So the first is the intention. Why were these things written down? 
And a lot of them, they wanted to record what happened, or at least that's what they said. They said, this is what our intention is. Or even the Gospel of John, he goes, I want you to see that Jesus is the Messiah. So that is the intention. Did they have intention to fool or intention to record what they saw and happen? Okay, so we have that. We have the ability test. Do they have the ability to write down what happened? Now, that's not saying that they did, but that's saying that they had the ability. Were they there? Were, did they firsthand see what happened? Or did they know those who firsthand saw these things happen? Again, I think we can say yes, but again, you have to battle with that, wrestle with that, have your questions and doubts about that. Um, I've wrestled through this. Character test. The third one is character test. Were these things written to fool people? Were they written to fool those around? And I think, right, we could say, yes, ha, 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 yeah, they wanted to fool people. They wanted to believe this. But but really, like, if they wrote this, right, they wrote embarrassing details about themselves. If I'm writing something to fool people, I'm not going to write embarrassing details about myself. I don't want you to know the embarrassing details about me. And a lot of these, if not all of them, died for not recanting what they wrote. They wouldn't step down from that. Now, I don't know about you. But, but if I wrote something to fool somebody and it came down to it where either I was going to be put to death or I could recant, I would recant a thousand times over because I wouldn't want to be put to death for something where I was trying to fool people. At that point, I'd be like, ha you caught me. Yes, I was messing with people. Yes, I was making this up. The, the next uh, test for that is their consistency. Is it consistent? Are there similar stories? Not perfect match. We have to understand with ancient um, writings and how they went. Again, they're not like they weren't as scientific as we are now. But again, do their stories line up fairly well? Because even if you and I, if if you and I saw a crash happen outside of my windows right now, as I'm sitting at my kitchen table, if we saw a crash together, we might say different things to the cop. Now, overall, do they line up? Overall, the cop would be looking, okay, what is common? What is the overall? And we have that, especially with the New Testament, we have overall says the same things. Few things are lined up different um, for writing styles. They may have placed them in different spots, but overall it's consistent. A bias test. And I think this is the one that we really have to struggle with. Yes, there was bias because they were with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They loved Jesus. Okay, we have that. Uh, The next one is the cover-up test. Were they trying to cover something up? And again, I I think if they were, they wouldn't have written all these embarrassing details about themselves. Uh, Peter almost drowning. Why in the world would they write that? The, The silly fights that they would have in front of Jesus, they wrote those down. Um, and so why would they cover it up? And if we're going to cover it up and not, why would they cover it up? Why would they write it in that way? If they were covering it up, of course you wouldn't. Are there outside, is there outside evidence is I think the seventh one it's, it's, it's letters on my outline here, just kind of as I'm going through. So it's eh, okay. It's the seventh one. Is there outside evidence? And yes, we went through it. There's outside evidence for this occurring. And the last one I think is so important. Is there an adverse witness test? Is there somebody who was adverse, who hated the Christians, who talk about these things? And there are a lot of Jewish writers who talked about Jesus as the sorcerer, that he did this magic and they didn't like it. They weren't writing as, hey, this was awesome magic that he did. But it's showing that the miracles that get written about, especially in the Gospels, 
very well could have happened. There is likelihood that they happened because other people who were opposed to them said they were dark, evil magic. Well, then we could say, well, then Jesus, this Jesus guy did things that other people thought were dark, evil magic. And so all this evidence, all these questions and all this evidence has led me to my conclusion. Now, I know you may not be there yet, and that's okay. I want to hear from you. I want to even hear where you say, yeah, like you missed this major thing or eh, I don't know about what you said about that. And that's totally good. But here's my conclusion. And this is how, this is the conclusion I've come to based on all these questions and answers and, and the eight test. It's this, to be skeptical of the resultant text of the New Testament book is to allow all of classical antiquity to slip into obscurity for no documents of the ancient period are as well attested to as the New Testament. Now, you may have a different conclusion. That's totally fine, totally good. But to me, like the preponderance of the evidence says this is true. Now, I think this is, brings us to an important point. Are we going to make the standard for evidence beyond all doubt or beyond reasonable doubt? So let's think that we were on a jury. And if, and if we were judging the case on beyond all doubt, no one would ever be convicted because there always would be doubt. Even if we had camera evidence, um, there were people there who saw this and they attested to it and they testified to it. There is still doubt that could occur. Be like, well, maybe it was somebody who had a perfect face double on them. And even though they had the perfect fingerprints and all of this, they found the gun, they found the bloody clothes, somebody maybe could have done that. And that would be beyond all doubt. And we would never convict any criminal ever in our criminal justice system. Or are we going to use the test beyond reasonable doubt? Because I think that changes the story. I think for a skeptic, when I dig in my heels, I go beyond all doubt. You have to prove it beyond all doubt. Well, that is impossible for anyone. And so as you're on this journey, I want to encourage you, are, which standard are you trying to hold scripture to? Because I don't think we do it in any other way. Again, if we did that with our juries, we would never have anyone convicted. So here's the thing. There is still a gap. I get that. Like, I want to prove as much as I can, but there's still a gap that we have to jump over. We have to jump over and say, okay, I am going to trust this thing. So faith is jumping over that gap, no matter how much evidence, no matter how many questions and doubts that we ask and that, that we wrestle with, there is still going to be a gap. Again, the more evidence, the smaller the gap. But here's the thing about faith. Faith is jumping over the gap, but faith is also knowing that at the end of the jump is something solid of going, okay, it's beyond all reasonable doubt. This is something solid. Now, as I've said all this, I, again, I don't want just you to hear me. Like, this is a conversation. Like, I am sitting at my kitchen table. I've been looking at the chair across from me. I've been trying to picture you there. Now, I don't know what you look like, but I'm trying to picture a person there, a friend of mine there, who I'm just having this conversation with across the kitchen table. Here's the downside of this medium podcast is I don't get to hear from you directly as I'm doing this. That would be awesome if somehow, someday we could figure that out. Again, Again, I'll probably have guests and we get to do that, but I want you to join the conversation. Like that's the thing I really want. I want you to join this conversation. So the first way to um, push back, have this conversation, enter into the conversation is to leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash skeptical pastor forward slash message. And you can leave a quick little voice message there. Um, and I may possibly use it on the podcast as part of the audio that we interact with. I'm kind of dreaming up what would episodes be of uh, my friends who are a part of this conversation, their feedback, their questions, their doubts that they have. I think that could be really cool. The other way is to send an email to the skeptical pastor podcast at gmail.com. 
The next one is facebook.com forward slash skeptical pastor. And on Instagram, it's skeptical pastor. And so those are ways that you can message me, interact with um, comments that we have. I'm going to try to put up more quotes on some of the social media so that you can interact with those as well. And you can tell me either that was the greatest thing ever or the worst thing. No, <laughs> but here's the thing. We want to be respectful. If there's a, there's a non-respectful comment, I will take that down. But it, just because it disagrees with me doesn't mean it's a disrespectful. I want that. If you want to put it on there, hey, this is what I think about this, or hey, have you thought about this? I want that interaction to occur on that. I think that'd be really awesome, really cool. Here's the other thing. Could you do me a favor? Could you share this with others so that they can join? I want more people to join this conversation because I think this can help a lot of us skeptics wrestle through some really big things. And I want people to join the conversation not so, again, not so it builds up my name, but so that we can have more people and we can learn together. So it benefits you, it benefits me, it benefits them as we all wrestle in this together, as we build this, this community that is okay with being skeptical. So before we wrap up, I want to set something up for the next time. But before we wrap up, I need to give a special thanks to Hey Guys Media Group. They produce this show. Again, I say anything that sounds good is because of them and anything that sounds not so good is because of decisions and choices that I have made. They, they produce this show. They produce a bunch of other shows. They also host and produce my favorite show, The Threads Podcast. I was, in fact, just before I re hit record on this, I was listening to their um, episode where they talk about Trump and the events that happened at the Capitol on Wednesday, January 6th. And again, it's just some awesome stuff. Um, check it out. Um, they're great guys, Ben and Jason over there. Um, again, if you are like, hey, where do we find these things? Um, check out the links in the, in the show description. They're going to be there. So scripture, I feel like we spent a lot of time on this, but here's the thing. I think there's more for us to really wrestle with scripture. We've wrestled with, is it reliable? Can I trust it? And we've come to different conclusions, right? My conclusion is, yes, we can rely on it. Yes, we can trust it. But now we have to say, now that we've wrestled with that, now what? I think we have unanswered questions about the Bible. I, if you're anything like me, I have a ton of unanswered questions of now what do we do now that we've, now that we've wrestled with is this reliable? So again, I want us to explore those things, those unanswered questions. And remember, this podcast isn't meant to end the conversation. I am not the expert. I am not the one who says, now you must believe me. No, it's not true at all. But this only begins, again, I want to hear back from you. So this begins the conversation. So welcome to the conversation.